This morning's Bible reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, located on page 1026 of your Bible. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. All right, any young people here would like to join me in the front? Morning, guys. Would you sit down there so I could see you? Yeah, that'd be great. And Layla, would you sit down there too, please? Thank you. Um, what's the age difference between you two? A few minutes. Yeah. So who's the who's the oldest? Does does it matter between you two? Not really. I think it's pretty cool, actually. Uh, we didn't have any uh, twins in my family. I was the first one born uh, of my siblings. And then two years later, my brother Gary was born. And then two years later, my sister Linda was born. And then two, two years later, my sister Diane was born. So we're two, my parents are very regular, you know, every two years. So, um, and then um, my parents, for some reason, uh, when I got a little older, trusted me to stay home and watch my brother and sisters babysit them. And so they go off and do their thing. <laughs> I, hate to, I hate to admit to any of this stuff, but I, I really teased him. I tortured him. I knew exactly where his buttons were. And I've told a story before that I, I made him so mad once that he chased me with a meat cleaver you know what a meat cleaver is? One of those things that you pound. And, uh, and I ran into the bathroom and locked the door, and I heard this loud thunk. And uh, <laughs> he, he hit the door with the... Uh... Well, an another time, uh, he, <laughs> he chased me around with a screwdriver. And I don't think either one of us told our parents uh, the way that we fought. And um, so my brother and I, for a long time, didn't get, get, get along very, very well. I, I thought because I was older, I was smarter than him. Are you smarter than your, by, by minutes, oh, you're, <laughs> okay, you kind of take turns. Um, so uh, my, my mom and dad were not aware of this sort of uh, mortal enemy relationship that we had. And even when I grew up as a teenager, I still, thought that I was the smart one and that he was the, the stupid one. And um, 
I would tease him in ways that would put him down. And, and we kind of grew up that way. And he, he got married when he was young. I got married when I was young. And even as young adults, he and I would just really fight uh, about the Bible. He became one kind of Christian, and I became a different kind of Christian. And so that's, what, that's the kind of relationship that we had. Uh, my brother Gary and I, we fought. And, um, and it just really caused a big divide in my family. And then after we got a little bit older, we realized that we didn't want to set that kind of example for our children. Because I had two daughters, and they fought. Uh, but I, had, I, had, I tried hard not to fight with my brother because I couldn't tell them not to fight and then go fight with my brother. So anyway, um, so that went on for a very, very long time. And uh, then my parents died uh, about eight years ago. And after that, uh, my brother and I realized, uh, and my sister, that we were now the adults. There was nobody else between us and the end of our lives. We were the adults. And so I think, uh, I'm going to use a fancy word here. I'm going to use the word reconcile. We reconciled. And, you know, that's a term in uh, banking, I think, isn't it, where you... Uh, kind of reconcile your numbers with their numbers and make them come out just right. And when you reconcile with a person, you don't normally reconcile with a friend. You reconcile with somebody who you're a little hostile about or you don't feel good about. You've done something, they've done something, uh, but it comes to a point where, you know, you kind of say, okay, let's let the past be the past and let's shake hands and let's treat one another with, with respect. And that's been one of my themes all these years at this church, is the idea of treating other people with respect. And my relationship with my brother was kind of what got me going on it. So um, as you two grow up, that'd be great if you got along, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be really great. And then Layla, my granddaughter, she's got a big family, but she's kind of the only granddaughter uh, that I have with my daughter, Carrie. So. She won't have that problem until her cousins and her get to become teenagers. So that will be another children's time. So can we, would you bow our heads for a word of prayer? Uh, loving God, we thank you so much uh, for uh, giving people to us, our brothers and sisters, our parents, our aunts and uncles, our wives and our husbands and our friends. Uh, these are the people uh, that are our relationships in the world. And even though sometimes relationships get rocky, it's always good uh, to try hard to treat the other person with respect uh, and to reconcile with those who we either have harmed or they harmed us. Because what we know that you want for us, lo uh, loving God, is that we become whole, uh, good-hearted people. And that is our response to uh, Jesus and his life and his teachings. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, the anthem that the uh, choir just sung is one of those that kind of got stuck in my head this past week. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? We sing a, a, a hymn uh, or an anthem that um, we just like. And so it, we kind of go over it and over it in our heads. Um, and as, I, as I've been thinking about it, I realize that it's based on one of my uh, favorite uh, passages to use uh, at a funeral service, although it doesn't have to always be that way. 
but that anthem was partly based on uh, a verse in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, and I'd like to just kind of connect the dots uh, for us to understand the, uh, the hymn a little bit better, the anthem. So this is uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things which we don't see. And I think that's, that is something to ponder, uh, the idea that life is much larger uh, than our five senses tell us it is. And the idea that God is uh, way more involved in things in non-obvious ways, um, in this text, and that anthem invites us uh, to walk by trust. Trust that God is with us no matter where we are in this life or how we are feeling. Uh, God will always be with us no matter what happens to us. Uh, and there is that, that, that basic trust that God is there. And so I think that's what the hymn was about. I think it's a great way to look at life. Uh, because if we just look at what we see in the world, we often get anxious and fearful and are troubled. Uh, but uh, we also understand that there are creative uh, forces around us uh, and through us. And so um, that's a nice little way of reminding ourselves that there is more to life than what we experience. And I don't mean that in any weird uh, you know, a UFO seeker kind of way. So, uh, the uh, text before us is kind of a continuation of what we were uh, talking about last Sunday when we talked about, well, one time we talked about the widow, uh, maybe not last Sunday, but recently. Uh, the lectionary has been in the Gospel of Luke for quite a while now and, and just kind of following that. And, uh, and so the first... Uh, parable of chapter 18 is about this woman who uh, wants justice done and she keeps getting dismissed by the judge and she uh, makes such a nuisance of herself to the judge uh, that he really gets tired of her and has, she has worn him out and so uh, the judge finally gets gives her what she wants and that is justice um, and now uh, the judge here is not meant to be God. Uh, it's, it's focused on the woman who prays over and over and over again continually with the expectation that sometime things are going to work in her way. And that's her prayer. Uh, God, help me through this moment. I can't see what's going to happen to me. I can't know what the future is going to behold. I want justice. I want things to be right. And that's my prayer. And it is a prayer of trust, uh, trusting that power that surrounds us to kind of carry us through uh, even difficult times, maybe especially at difficult times. And then uh, Jesus gets into this next parable, and, um, and that's the one that Ray just uh, read to you. And this, this is quite a problematic parable because what it does is it pits Pharisees uh, against sinners. And so we have a little bit of dialogue here uh, in the text where um, 
he, he said this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give the tenth of all my income, but the, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus comments, I tell you, this man went down uh, to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, uh, we're, we're kind of used to, especially those of us who've grown up in the church, we're used to uh, seeing the Pharisees as the designated hypocrite, hypocrite in all of these stories. Um, and they're obviously so self-righteous that we really don't want to be like that. Uh, and that's fair. Uh, but you have to kind of put your mind in the situation where Jesus was actually talking to people and uh, he was putting Pharisees uh, in a bad light. And people back then thought that if, if, if you had any image of righteousness before you and what it looks like to be connected with God, it was the Pharisees. They were the good people. They were the great examples around what it meant to be a godly person. And so this parable uh, was probably a very dangerous parable for Jesus to be talking about because he's going against all of the values um, of uh, their religious institutions and the way that they uh, regarded each one and the kind of value they put on each other. And, um, and so Jesus kind of turns things upside down. He compares the Pharisee as a self-righteous person and the sinner, the tax collector, you could not think of a worse human being than a tax collector. And he's saying, one went home justified. So what he's doing is he's working this grand reversal on what is valuable, what it looks like uh, to be a person of God. And so people probably walked away scratching their heads, thinking, what in the world is he talking about? And you have to understand that tax collectors were probably Jewish people uh, who, um, in in, in the, their connection to the Roman authorities were the ones who went out and collected the tax. So it was their own people who were collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire. So you can, you can see why they would be hated people back then because they were part of the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so uh, in this story, like in so many other stories, we get things uh, turned upside down. Um, and. It's possible to be so sure of yourself that even if you are right, and even though you think the other person is utterly wrong, you have to think of this parable. I was just, I told uh, the young people half the story. 
uh, and that was my brother and I not getting along at all, uh, even into our adult years. And um, I, just, I just was sure I knew more than he did. I, was, I took philosophy in college. I was uh, going to seminary, a pastor in a church. Um, I just thought I knew more than him. I still think that, uh, but don't tell him. Um, that would cause a whole other thing. No, I'm just joking. No, I re there, there was one incident uh, that is kind of seared into my memory. And this happened when both my brother and I were, I think we're probably in our early 40s, when we were at our parents' house in the kitchen, and he and I were just going at it over the Bible. Just, you know, really nasty to one another. And in the middle of that, my mom came in in tears. And she says, I love you both so much. Why do you do that? Dink. From that day until this day, my brother and I have never argued about the Bible, about philosophy, about how to live your life. We just don't argue anymore. And after the death of my parents, of course, um, my brother and I are becoming close. Now, you know, 30 years ago, <laughs> I would say no way, but here we are. The supposed adults in the family not arguing with one another. And, and, and I think what we were trying to do is kind of some kind of reconciliation. Not that we had to line up our religious points of view or our, you know, where we stand with the Bible and your group and my group and all that kind of stuff. But just on the personal level, I think uh, he and I have just kind of quietly uh, determined uh, that we would, we would treat each other with respect. And I think we've done that for the past 20 years or so, and, and that's allowed us to become a lot closer. We still d disagree about everything else, but on a human level, he and I, we talk about the family, we talk about what's important to us, we talk about grandkids, and so um, that stands out in my mind as a kind of an act of you know, reconciliation. Uh, just kind of a, a little bit of a context for these parables. Um, they really are in direct answer to a question uh, that the Pharisees asked Jesus back in the, the previous chapter, chapter 17, uh, verse 20. Uh, and it, and it begins, once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, and he answered, the kingdom of God's not coming with thi things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. And then there's some long teaching for the rest of that chapter. And then Jesus offers uh, these two parables of the woman and then of the Pharisee uh, as two different examples that kind of go side by side, but one is a positive one and one is a negative one, just to, just to give us a sense of what the parameters are. And so what does it mean uh, that the kingdom of God is among you? Uh, it doesn't say the kingdom of God is in you doesn't say the kingdom of God is around you. It says the kingdom of God is among you. 
And of course, the word among implies that there's a, more than one person. There's a group relating together. And so I think that's why church is so very important. Worshiping community uh, who work together in such a way that the kingdom of God can be tangible in ways that we don't see. And, you know, of course, everybody's looking for a sign. I've just recently read of all of these people moving to uh, eastern Oregon and, and Washington and, and northern uh, uh, Idaho, uh, and they're, they're fleeing the troubles to come. Uh, they're building the bomb shelters, and they're buying guns and food and all that kind of stuff because they think the end is coming soon. And uh, Jesus would say to them, well, you, you guys may, might be right, you might be wrong, but you don't know. That's the problem. You don't know when it's going to come. And then you get this little zinger in there that the kingdom of God is among you. Hmm. Now, we are the people who pray every Sunday morning, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the ones who are praying, our Father, thy kingdom come. And so there is this kind of weird waiting, this weird anticipation that can turn into some kind of weird preoccupation with the future and being afraid of the future. Um, praying thy kingdom come mm, is a prayer that has probably already happened. And it happens sporadically. It happens sometimes between uh, people who might reconcile, uh, maybe between countries that have stopped killing each other and a reconciliation. So we become the parable. We become the parable of what it looks like when, when people treat one another with respect. And as I say over and over, it's not that you have to respect that person or like them or agree with them. It means it's all about you. It's you treating them with respect. And, um, and if we build a community around that, then, then these intangible uh, things that are happening in the community become manifest, and we just call it the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It's another power. And it's not just adding one another together and coming up with that sum. It's exponential. Uh, because Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. I'm there. And so here we are gathered in Jesus' name. And so where is Christ? Right here. Right here. And Jesus says, don't look up. Don't look at the heavens. Don't, don't do all of that kind of stuff. Don't predict it. It's going to surprise you. And he uses the example of Noah building an ark, he said, Jesus said it's going to be a lot like Noah's time. People are getting on with their lives, they're marrying, you know, they're being together, and they're just carrying on, enjoying their lives, and then kabam, the flood comes. And so uh, that is what Jesus is trying to instill in us, I think, is this idea of not being out there hopeful that something is going to happen, but that thing has got to happen not just in here, but among us, among us. The kingdom of God is among us. I think it would be exactly the wrong thing 
to feel well and good about ourselves. And leaving over to the hall this morning and saying, thank God I'm not like a Pharisee. And I take that as an amen, Kristen. Hmm. Amen. Let us bow our heads for a word of prayer. Loving God, we gather here um, very quietly on a Sunday morning as we do. As the Brea Congregational Church, we, uh, we focus on what is important in life and what is not important in life. And uh, we just simply thank you for the life that we have, uh, this uh, group of people who we have that, that among us um, is your, your kingdom, it's your land. You know, that's where we are, is in your, your land, in God's country. And we thank you for that. And we pray that we would embody the kind of values uh, that people would look at us and say yes. Uh, the struggle, uh, they struggle to treat each other with respect and they treat other, uh, other people outside of the community with respect. And so let that be our guiding light, loving God. And we come here in the name of Jesus. We recognize that what he taught and what he embodied in his own life is of value. Uh, and he approached his own death uh, afraid like anybody else would be, and trusting that God will lead him to new life uh, even beyond death. And that is always our prayer, loving God, is that wherever we are, uh, your kingdom is among us. And so we offer these prayers in the same way that Jesus Christ taught his own disciples how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.